Hi friends, I'm Tanya Luna, psychology researcher and educator. And I'm Brian Luna. I'm looking to buy real estate on LV426. And you're listening to Talk Psych Psych to to Me. A show where we take research out of the lab and into the street. Let's get into it. Where are we getting real estate? (laughs) For all my nerds out there, let's see if anyone knows what that is. Because to be clear, we're on a very strict no spending. You're giving me slack, Joe. As long as we're clear that we're not spending any money. It's a fictional place. I'm great with fictional spending. (laughs) So so let's get into it. Today, actually, is going to be the first of a series of seven episodes. Oh, nice. Do you want to take a guess what our next seven topics will be? Star Wars. Seven topics. We're not including the prequels. Okay. Yeah. Any other guesses? Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so Star Wars or nothing. (laughs) Star Wars or nothing. Or unpacking the psychology of the seven deadly sins. Ooh, this is going to be good. Can I pick which one we go first? No. Okay. Pop quiz. Yeah. Do you know what the seven deadly sins are? Yeah. For each one you get right, later on I'm going to give you a mini marshmallow. Oh, nice. Sneezy. Doc. Nope. Bashful. Nope. No. Okay. Ready? Yeah. Lust. Why'd you start with lust? You screwed up my train of thought. All right. Let me get back into it. All right. You ready? Lust. No. You got That sounds like wrath. (laughs) Okay. Lust, sloth, envy, wrath, vanity. So just the five marshmallows? Hold on. Uh, 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 Gluttony. Greed. Greed. Oh my God. <laughs> See, that's the one I don't I don't associate with at all. That's true. You are very generous. Thank okay. You. So the most modern version comes from Dante's Inferno, yep. written in 1472. Most of us associate 1471. It's a common misconception. <laughs> Maybe it took him a while to get published. Yeah, yeah. He was shopping it around. It was around it was tough. Time. It was just, they were like seven. I don't know. <laughs> Honestly, I can't push seven. Six deadly sins sounds better, Dante. And he's like, yeah, but I got seven. Yeah. He's like, believe me, greed. Everyone's going to want this one. You know, I'll be honest, greed isn't a big seller right now. It's funny that you should say that because it seems that the first sin listicle emerged in the fourth century thanks to a monk named Evargius Ponticus. Mm -hmm. And he came up with eight sins in order of escalating sinfulness. Okay. Starting with gluttony, lust, greed, melancholy or sadness, mm-hmm. anger, apathy, vanity, and pride. Interesting. What do you think of sadness as a sin? I don't think it's a sin. I think I think if you're doing all seven of the sins, then you experience melancholy. That oh, might you're come. thinking that's more of an I think outcome. it's an offshoot. Yeah, I think it's an I don't like, think Like, I'm so sad because I'm so sinful. That's not a sin. It's really? a sin to be sad? Come on. Ponticus's you know. thinking is that sadness made us focus too much on ourselves instead of looking out for others. So he saw this as a symptom of being too selfish or too self-absorbed. Then in the 6th century, Pope Gregory cut melancholy, hooray for mental health, Mm -hmm. and got the list down to seven, which is really where it took off. The editing. (laughs) (laughs) He was like, originally it was 16. Then we edited. So he got it down to pride, greed, lust, envy, gluttony, wrath, and sloth. And interestingly, he thought that these sins were all the worst transgressions against love. Oh, so not against like humanity, but against love. Well, that's actually one of the questions that most people don't pause to consider, which is why do you think they're called deadly sins versus just like really, really bad sins? Well, I guess deadly, meaning that they would lead to like dire consequence. Like an exaggerated... It's, you know, again, we go back to the guy, he's like, yeah, seven bad sins is good, but if I can, look, <laughs> so I'm going to throw some titles marketing. out there. <laughs> all marketing. I'm going to throw some titles out there. Seven horrific sins. Okay, so you, you don't like horrific. I can see your face. You don't like horrific. Let's do deadly. 
<laughs> ah, see, I see you're smiling. Deadly. Let's go, Dante. Let's talk money. So you think it's an exaggeration, like when people say literally, but they don't mean literally? <laughs> so the leading explanation is that these sins kill the Holy Spirit within us. Okay, that's a little dramatic. That's a little dramatic. <laughs> Again, marketing, possibly. I know, yeah, yeah, yeah. All Interestingly, right. obviously these are associated with Christianity. They're not technically in the Bible. No. I would say that all of these seven deadly sins are either amygdala-driven versus prefrontal cortex-driven. So okay. they're basically impulse control problems. So sloth is an impulse control problem. Yeah. All of the lust, wrath. Well, lust and wrath, I see. Yeah. Sloth? Isn't sloth yeah, like... Yeah, you can't find motivation. It's a problem with self-control. I Yes. Or it's a lack of pro-social behavior, so you're being selfish instead of helping out others. I will have to admit those seven deadly sins, a lot catchier. Yeah. So... For our next seven episodes, we mm-hmm. can explore the psychology of one sin at a time. Okay. What's your guess about the first sin that we're going to talk about today? If we're going with that list, then gluttony. Yeah? Why are you looking at me and you're assuming gluttony? Because you just had a whole drawer full of chocolate. And I'm wondering, <laughs> and you just ate all the marshmallows. So I'm wondering <laughs> if gluttony is what we're going to tackle first. Wow. <laughs> is putting other people's sins on blast mm, one of the sins? Pudding. I- mm. I do have a problem with impulse control when it comes to pudding. However, I'd like to start with sloth. Oh! I love sloths. But also, I've been feeling more slothful than usual lately. I've found myself being a little self-critical, a little judgy of myself. So I figured that could be an interesting one, at least for me. Okay, so let's... (laughs) Vanity. (laughs) Vanity. Let's talk about the definition of sloth in this particular instance. Mm -hmm. So, hit it. What do, you, what, what do you think it is? 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 It sounds like you're trying to not put in the effort I would to say, define it. <laughs> I would say, let me take a nap. <laughs> let, me, let me chill out. Because I don't feel like answering that <laughs> I don't really feel like doing anything right now. <laughs> so it's just, it's laziness, lack of motivation. And what, so what does laziness mean to you? I guess I would say just like pure lack of motivation, uh, taking up space, not giving. <laughs> well, you know what I mean? But, but what I mean by that, I mean like not giving. Hmm. Um, not offering any help, not pulling your own weight. Oh, interesting. So. I think you hit on some really important components of it. First, all right. Thank you for listening to Talk Psych to me. <laughs> Tune in next week. Brian Luna explains it all. <laughs> I think the the first most kind of simple piece of it for us to dig into is an unwillingness to exert effort or energy. I always find it helpful whenever there's something that I find kind of confusing about humans to go back and look at it through an evolutionary lens, mm-hmm. and it seems that. Among our animal cousins, laziness, even among animals that aren't actually sloths, Mm -hmm. is actually the norm more so than the exception. Researcher Joan Herbers did a study on what's called time budgets in various animals and found that most animals spend most of their time doing nothing. Like our dogs? Or our cat. Oh my god. Or I would say wins. (laughs) (laughs) So from an evolutionary perspective, what do you think? Why would we have evolved to be quite lazy? Uh, conserve energy. I would imagine that sitting under the shade and moving only until you have to move so only would be the most efficient. Yeah. I think of this as the Brian Luna bear theory of energy conservation. Mm-hmm. This is like your theory <sighs> of, hey, Brian, we are having a problem with the internet. Could you call our internet provider? Yep. And your excuse is... That's not my job. My job is I'm on call in case... Bears. <laughs> yeah. 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 Because of the two of us, only one of us has ever chased off a bear, right? And of the two of us... <laughs> Only one of us was smart enough not to. Oh, well. Well, we're all here because that bear was like, 
I ain't messing with this tumble. So yes, that is my bear logic. You can handle all the the ins and outs. I'm on bear duty. So you twenty four hours. But but mine is twenty four hours a day. Yeah. Not. I don't have. I don't take holidays. No. If it's Christmas and I'm opening my presents and a bear comes, I gotta stop, put down my presents. Yeah. Notice I said presents, and then <laughs> go da- go out there and do my business. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So from your perspective, you can never actually be lazy because you're in a constant state of readiness. I, I train every day <laughs> for that bear. So at the risk of supporting this <laughs> worldview, I will say that I think it's actually kind of useful to recognize that we've evolved to be lazy because it takes some of the stigma out of laziness. It doesn't mean that when we're lazy that we're being morally flawed. <laughs> it actually just means to be lazy is to be human. Uh, I'm sorry. It sounds like you're calling me lazy. <laughs> maybe maybe I ain't quick to the punch bowl. But I can tell you this. It sounds a hell of a lot like my bear theory. Sounds like I'm lazy. I would say that you are more comfortable with comfortable. inaction. <laughs> what? Than oh, I am. Well, we're airing some dirty laundry. Welcome <laughs> to the Dirty Laundry Podcast. I certainly don't think you're lazy. I am not lazy. No, you are not a lazy person. I'm just saying times where I ask you to do something and you choose not to do it. That's do it. lazy? What if I don't like being bossed around by some little prideful know-it-all? Maybe that's <laughs> right, what we'll it is. We'll talk about that next week. We'll talk about that next pride. week, won't we, on Pride? <laughs> Tune in next week. So... The thing is, just because being lazy is natural, and you felt it, I felt it, we've all felt it, Mm -hmm. to be human is to be lazy, doesn't necessarily mean that it's good for us. So I'm going to talk about my psychologist crush again, who is... Mahai Csikszentmihalyi. Yeah. Yeah, Mahai. Love Mahai Csikszentmihalyi. Let me say it like he would say it if he had like a midnight talk show. Okay. This is Mahai Csikszentmihalyi talking to you live about what's going on in your mind and down in your pants. Wow! Okay. That's good. So, Mahai, if you're listening to this, I just wrote your promo for your talk show. You can use it. Contact me. Uh, don't contact my wife because we're going to have problems. Please I think continue. we're going to have to change the topic to lust right now. Wow. All right. So, Mahai Chick Right now, high. hold on. Everyone's Googling Mahai Chick Semi-High and they're like, damn, he's a fox. I am attracted to his intellect. There you go. And his sandals. And he does wear sandals, which I find really charming. So he asked people in one of his studies to track what they do on the weekends Mm. and report their mood at random intervals. So what he found is that even though people thought they'd be happier just kind of chilling and doing nothing and relaxing, the people that were happiest were doing stuff like activities and hobbies and they were volunteering it wasn't something that people even realized about themselves. Why are you giving me that skeptical? <laughs> because I'm not going to fall for this. I'm not going to fall for this. this. Just because you said it's some research, now you're going to fill our weekends with all this bunch of bullshit. No. I, I, I ain't falling for it. Hey, should we go and, and, and make baskets and with rare wood that we have to cut down? And the what? No, no. I want to watch TV. I want to watch the game. No, hell no. I'm I not promise this, this episode is not an elaborate <laughs> This is an elaborate to thing to get you. Hey, so we're going to go play with a kiln and fire and make our own bowls. Doesn't that sound like fun? No. Okay. How does that not sound like fun? That sounds like not fun. Anyway, psychologist Christopher C. and team did a study where they had participants either fill out a questionnaire and hand it right over, Uh or they would have them walk 15 minutes to deliver the questionnaire. If you had a choice, which one would you do? Well, where where am I walking it? You had to like walk across campus. Or hand it in to the person who's in front of me? They didn't give people a choice. They would, in one condition, they oh. would just say, okay, hand you it over. You said which one would I rather do? Yeah, and then separately they would ask, so which one do you think you would prefer? Depends on where we are. Like if it's my own neighborhood, I want to hand it to you because I ain't going to walk <laughs> at night 
What time did I finish? If it's after 7 p.m., shit, I'm handing it right to you. So most people would say that regardless of safety and security reasons, just for the simplicity (laughs) and ease of it, they would prefer to just hand over the survey. But the participants who walked 15 minutes ended up being happier. So C and team actually suggest that cities build pointless obstacles to get people moving more, like little bridges that lead to nowhere, so that people are kind of nudged to (laughs) overcome their natural laziness. What do you think about that? What do you think about that? And more importantly, what are some ideas for pointless obstacles that you can think of? Uh, Zip lines. (laughs) Zip lines, <laughs> zip lines that go in a circle. So you zip line, it takes you right back to the bottom of the steps that you climbed the zip line. <laughs> and um, I would say treadmills, an endless walkway that just like, it's like a treadmill that you like have to- Like while you're waiting in line? Yeah, that you have to actually walk it. Okay, let's make this a little more accessible. What would be a pointless obstacle for someone in a wheelchair? Easy. So if I'm in a wheelchair and I get to like a crosswalk and it's all old and then I got it on my hands and then they're slipping off the tires. Sounds and, fantastic. Yeah. So similarly to the obstacle course idea, to overcome some of that natural laziness, it can help to build routines and rituals that prompt us to take action that we want to be taking automatically rather than demanding us to muster that motivation. Wait, so you're saying cities, like city engineers <laughs> are building pointless things? Is that what you're telling me that well, they're doing? Well, this is a psychologist's idea. Oh, it's a, it's a psychologist's idea. I thought you were saying that cities actually do that. And I was thinking, I was like, wait, there are these weird bridges <laughs> <laughs> in Central Park. Now you're starting to question yeah, all the but they, 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 routes they aren't over anything. They're, there's no water under them. They're just like a little bridge. It's like a sense of Their bridge. point was like, look, let's just accept that as humans, we don't put in any energy unless we really have to. Mm-hmm. But when we do put in that energy, we're actually happier. So we wouldn't make that choice. But when we do make that choice, when we're nudged to make that choice, we're happier for it. So how can we take that into account when we're doing city planning? So this is what would happen if psychologists were city planners. (laughs) 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 If psychologists were government officials. Riots. But again, you could build this into your, in a less ridiculous way, you could build it into your personal life. For example, psychologist Sean Anker suggests reducing activation energy needed to start a good habit by 10 seconds. Sean Anker, he'll actually say, you know what? If I really want to work out, I'm going to sleep with my clothes on, including my sneakers. That way, when I wake up, Gross. I know you prefer Gross. to sleep in the nude. I bet this. So what is something that you do that reduces the need for you to put effort and energy into your own fitness routine? I keep all of my sneakers and stuff where I work out. And at the end of my workouts, I lay everything out so... It's all set. It's right where I want it to right. be. So like my That's boxing exactly gloves right. are out, my so hand wraps are out. So you're reducing the need for activation energy. Yes. You're basically going, you know what? I'm a human. I'm lazy. It takes a lot of effort to motivate myself to do this thing. How do I set myself up for success? By reducing the need to rely on that motivation. I, I agree. I think uh, no one should ever have to start from scratch. Yeah. So if you're doing oh, a project, nice way to put it. yeah, if you're doing a project, at the end of the day, set yourself up for the next day. You know what I think the problem is? A lot of times when we come up with these goals, like I'm going to write a book or I'm going to work out. <laughs> like those are two well, very honestly, different. Well, I find it easier to write a book <laughs> than work out. So. <laughs> To each their own. Anyway, when we come up with that goal, we're in a really motivated state. Mm -hmm. But the next morning, that motivation is gone. Yeah. I remember learning from my physical therapist the origin of the term inspiration. It's like a breath that you've taken Mm -hmm. in. Inspiration is just that little breath. 
But then you exhale it and it's gone. If you want to set yourself up for success, you have to design your routines for the laziest version of yourself versus the most motivated version of yourself. So how would that work for your writing? I could create a ritual of always writing for 30 minutes every single morning. I could already put out all the supplies I need to get started with writing. I could, as soon as I start writing, put my phone into airplane mode or take away distractions, just anything that would make it just... 10 seconds quicker and lighter and less contingent on whether I feel motivated that day. Okay. As we've talked about in past episodes, you can also do some dopamine engineering to shake that lazy feeling. You can do this by exercising, breaking up tasks into really small chunks. So it's like little quick wins where your brain goes, I did it, I did it, I did it. And you get more and more dopamine and you become less and less lazy. You can also narrow your focus, focusing on one thing at a time. Mm. Or you can just start doing more new things, which gets dopamine flowing and that reduces laziness. Yeah, I could use more dopamine in my life. And like I've said before that you've made fun of me for, dopamine begets dopamine. I don't think I've ever made fun of that, but I will. Because I've never heard that before, but yes, I will absolutely. Interesting, because... I literally have it oh. recorded. Oh, I see. It <laughs> Interesting. <sound. laughs> Is one of the deadly sins not listening? No. What's that? Yeah. Anyway, dopamine begets dopamine. What I mean by that is the more you set yourself up for those small wins, the more dopamine you have, the more motivation you have for tackling those new wins. Mm-hmm. Another way to understand and overcome laziness is to notice if you're stuck in a promotion versus a prevention orientation. So, for example, a prevention orientation is saying, I don't want to fail. Okay. A promotion orientation is saying, I want to succeed. Oh, okay. It's like choosing, am I going to play offense or am I going to play defense? Okay. So people who report experiencing laziness are more likely to have a prevention orientation. So in a sense, laziness is like a protective measure, preventing us from failing by not even trying. Also referred to as self-sabotage in psychology. I don't think I like your defense analogy because defense wins games. Defense let's, be games. Yeah, let's be honest. Let's be honest. Okay, I was going a little far outside my comfort. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was about to say. Analogy. I was like, I'm gonna. I could let that go, but defense wins games. Let's talk about. But it. do you know what I mean with self sabotage? No, totally, like totally, totally. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, it, it's happened with my career at times when I pulled back on acting a little bit because I didn't want to fail or I didn't want to blow it or anything like that. So you know, you pull the reins on it a little bit when things are going fast or when you have a lot of success. I don't want to do any more and screw yeah. all this up. Whereas you can just say, oh, I want more. I want to keep blasting And that's that promotion through. orientation, Sure, sure, right? sure. I think a lot of it is cultural. I think a lot of Absolutely. it is like where you can, where you come from and what's been taken away from you and where, when you've lost stuff, you know, Absolutely. if you've lost stuff. So If you come from a culture of scarcity, you're always told to play enough it safe. Is, yeah, play it safe. Yeah. Enough is enough. Which like, I think we both come sure. from, right? When I was a teenager, I got really excited. I read some book by Warren Buffett and got really excited about investing <laughs> <laughs> and opened a retirement account. I told my mother and she started crying. She was like, what are you doing? with your money <laughs> a lot of people don't realize this but his name is warren buffet oh yeah wait oh my god we have to talk about buffets when we get to gluttony okay go okay. ahead go ahead okay <laughs> <laughs> okay okay here's another interesting way to look at it using self-discrepancy theory developed by psychologist edward tory higgins higgins recognized that aside from our actual self which is the people that we see ourselves as, most of us also have an ideal and an ought self. Our actual self is who we are. Our ideal self is who we want to be. Yep, and our ought self is who we feel we should be. So, for example, my actual self could be wanting to spend more time doing creative work. My ought self is probably that little voice in my head saying, you should be working more or you should be more responsible. 
mm-hmm. or you should be more disciplined. And it turns out that people who have discrepancies between their actual and ought selves feel less motivation to take action and actually report feeling lazier. To me, that makes so much sense because when we do something because we should do it or because our ought self tells us to do it, we just feel relief. Like if I'm telling myself, you should do the dishes and I finish the dishes, I'm not going to be like, woohoo, I did the dishes. It's prevention, right? It's preventing me from feeling bad about myself. Mm -hmm. But when we do something because we want to do it or because it's what our ideal self tells us to do, then we feel pleasure. So if I'm like, I want to spend more time writing and I do that thing, I'm not just going to feel relief. I'm going to feel excitement. So if you're constantly listening to your ought self, you don't really develop this positive association with getting things done, right? You're, you're just playing not to lose. Whereas people focused on their ideal self are playing to win. And it's a lot more fun and more motivating. So for yourself, would you say you listen more to your ideal self or your ought self? I guess the ought self, depending on, again, going back to how you're raised or whatever, like what you're supposed to do That's a good than point. what you want to do. So, you know. And even if you think about it, even culturally, there are kind of ideal self cultures versus ought self cultures right like there are kids raised being told you can be anything you want and then there are kids raised being told here are the things that you should be get a good job yeah have a family don't drink too big you're almost being like punished for the ideal self and not to say that those obligations and responsibilities aren't important it just seems that when people have that conflict between who they are and who they feel they should be it actually leads to a lot more what could look like laziness on the surface but actually could be the sort of self-preservation and protection you know it's funny i this brings up a thing i don't even know if it applies but it made sense in my head When we were graduating from high school, a bunch of us were singled out, not all of us, but a bunch of us were singled out like from the football team and were taken into our guidance counselor's office. And our guidance counselor wasn't there. Instead, there was a man in uniform, uh, military, and Mm. he was there to recruit us. It was like a bait and switch? Into the military, yeah. And uh, this is right toward the end of our senior year, so we're thinking, oh, this is great. You know, this is, we're going to be guided. (laughs) You know, because like, we didn't really see our guidance. Yeah, I mean, I I, honestly, I couldn't tell you who my guidance counselor was and no, nothing. That's more of a movie myth. I don't know that anyone actually goes to their guidance counselor when they're going to, in high school and they're going to college. I think a lot of people do. I knew people that used to like hang out at the guidance counselor's office. I couldn't even tell you who my guidance counselor was. But I knew I had to go there. My guidance counselor helped me get out of my first period class because I didn't want to wake up. Okay. That's one thing a guidance counselor can do. (laughs) Guide you to sloth. Um, But um, so we got there. And at this point, I'd already been accepted into the theater school that I was going to. But not a lot of people knew about that. Which is an ideal self. Right. This is what I wanted to do. This is what I was was doing something that I really, really, really loved. And here this guy was telling me that what I should be doing Mm. is joining the military. And he even brought up my father. Um, you know, your dad was in the military. Your grandparents were in the military. Your uncles were in the military. Your oh, great-grandfather was in the military. Your great-great-uncles were in the military. And going over this whole thing about, like, how how hard it is to be an actor. Mm. And then telling me that there were a lot of famous actors that came out of the military. And I was like... <laughs> so you were just trying all yeah, the tactics. I was like, who? And he, I remember him saying, Chris Christopherson. And I was like, oh... The guy from the 70s, you know, it was like, this is not the 70s. But he was just, he was just going on and on about how difficult it is and kind of like knocking my ideal self and trying to lead me into the ought self, you know, like, so it it was very strange. I just remember like that being a physical manifestation of what you're talking about. Yes. And you're talking about literally people giving you should. Sometimes we, someone tells us, sometimes we just feel it through the societal reinforcements and signals that we all experience. So one solution to feel more motivated 
needed is actually to release some of the shoulds in your head and focus oh, I released on the them. Wants. I walked right out of there. I was like, <laughs> no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm going to New York. Peace. I actually really love that a relationship norm we have is that if you don't want to do it, you don't have to do it. Not interested. Not interested. <laughs> yeah, that's one of our that's rules. That's one of our rules. Can we talk? Do you want to talk about it? Actually, not interested has been a relationship rule for quite some time. Mm-hmm. At times, I've regretted bringing it up. You brought it in. I was going to say, it wasn't me. Boy, it actually... this was a game changer. What? <laughs> this was so cool. I'll let you tell it. I'll it let you comes tell from B.F. Skinner, who uh-huh. is classical psychologist. Skinner. Thanks, he... big boss. <laughs> His ideal self was actually to be a writer. Few people know this. So he did write a novella. It's called Walden 2. In it, he describes the perfect psychologically engineered society. Right. And one of the things that he <laughs> engineered in uh-huh. his perfect society were zip lines. No, just kidding. <laughs> were, um, was this rule. Horseshoe zip lines. <laughs> so one of his rules in this, this perfect society, in this utopia, was there are no shoulds. You only do something if you want to do it. Hell so, <laughs> yes. So he'd be like, if you are in a conversation and you lose interest, you simply go. Can I say it? Do it. Not interested. And then you leave. Holy shit. <laughs> Y'all, this will save lives, marriages. <laughs> if you're ever talking to someone and... You're saying it prevents all the other deadly sins. It prevents, like, honestly, war. This will stop war. We used to walk our dog. This is where it came from. We used to walk our dogs around the, the block at night. And it was a 10 o'clock walk. And it was their last walk. We went around the block. It was nice. It was cool. It was awesome. Being outside with the dogs, and sometimes our neighbors would come. And- Not interested. <laughs> and that's how Damn, it works. That's how it works. Boom. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Finish your thing. I'm mildly interested. Basically, we were walking around the block, and every once in a while, Tanya would be like, start talking about a study she she read. I didn't want to talk about a study for the whole walk. Well, I- you would say, "How was your day?" And I would assume that what you meant was... Tell me everything you learned that day. <laughs> and then, you know, when you when someone's talking to you and you give them visual cues that you don't want to talk about that. Well, Tanya doesn't take visual cues. Tanya doesn't take <laughs> cues at all. Like, Tanya doesn't take any cues. So I'd be like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say what mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And she would just go mm-hmm on these things. sounds like and then, great listening. And then she would be like, I wouldn't give her eye contact. <laughs> I'd have my back to her. And it, was, it would get us in these big arguments because she'd be like, I don't feel like you're listening. I'm like, I'm not. It would be the same thing if I was like, okay, let me go down the top 10 running backs <laughs> of all time since the game has changed in 1970. Not yeah, interested. Exactly. And so she brought up this thing where it's like, okay, we're going to do this thing. So I know for a fact that you want to be in the conversation. I don't want to force you into it. So when you're not interested, you just have to say not interested. And that's it. And she can't get mad. The they, Skinner's perspective is you really want a society of ideal versus ought because you don't want to be locked into a conversation wondering whether someone wants to be talking. Of course. It works for both parties. Yes. Because you've done it to me. When I come back from Comic-Con and I'm just like, you know, and this guy was there. And you'd be like, not interested. I just can't do it right now. And I'd be like, okay. And it doesn't mean not interested forever. So bringing it back to the topic of sloth, (laughs) I think what is really beautiful about this not interested Mm -hmm. rule is that it allows you to check in with what you actually want. Mm -hmm. And when you're out of touch with what you want, you might be actually exercising laziness as a way to protect yourself from letting yourself or others down. Mm -hmm. Right. So the more you can tap into what does interest you, the less likely you are to use this protective laziness. That said, obviously, sometimes there are real responsibilities, no matter how much I feel like I shouldn't feed the dogs or shouldn't. What? (laughs) 
I just want to feed Pay the my credit card bill, okay, right? Like, those you. are all yeah, things yeah. that I'm supposed to do. Obviously, I want to feed the dog. How do you equate paying your credit card to feeding the dog? Jeez. It's just sometimes you have responsibilities, regardless of whether you want those responsibilities so, or not. feeding those guys. <laughs> <laughs> so, one of my favorite laziness-busting techniques inspired by one of my favorite authors, Mark Twain, is called Swallowing the Frog. So, Twain <laughs> writes, if it's your job to eat a frog, it's best to do it first thing in the morning. <laughs> And if your job is to eat two frogs, it's best to eat the biggest one first. This is not a very vegan-friendly quote. And don't chew it, but swallow. But swallow it. What I like about this, and I actually live by this, is, and you, you've helped me, you've I, kind of coached yeah. me into this, is when I'm like, oh, I don't want to do this thing, or like, oh, I'm so stressed about today, you'll be like, do it first. Get it out of the way. Swallow the frog. So if there is a should in your life, and you need to acknowledge and respect that should, see if you can get it done as quickly as possible. That gives you the surge of motivation, and that carries you through the rest of the day. In the hood, we have uh, hit the big one first. Hmm. You know what I mean? Big so one like, what? What's the one... Whoever that is. <laughs> so oh, like, this is like a person. <laughs> so like if you're in a, if you find yourself in a fight with more than one person or there's a bunch of y'all, hit the big one first, get that out of the way and then have fun. Great. You know, and then and then enjoy the rest of your day. Fantastic. Okay. So we've talked a lot about having control over your laziness, uh-huh. which is helpful, but also somewhat dangerous because it assumes that you're choosing to be lazy or not. For example, if you're experiencing chronic apathy, which is a loss of motivation, or mm. anhedonia, which is a loss of enjoyment. Ooh, that sounds terrible. Anhedonia? Anhedonia sounds like... It feels terrible. No, but, but like anhedonia sounds like something that... Like a curse. <laughs> like someone gave me... What's wrong? Nothing, man. Someone hit me with anhedonia and yeah. I can't get right. Yeah. Well, it's, it, it feels awful. It's like all the things you used to love, all of a sudden they don't bring you pleasure. It's like, it's like your life got bleached. Oh my gosh. So those are often tied in with behaviors of laziness. But if on the back end, that's what's happening. And if it's happening chronically, it could be a symptom of something serious, right? So it could depression. be depression. Yeah. Absolutely. That's one of the symptoms, anxiety, ADHD, dementia, anemia, thyroid problems, or even a motivational syndrome because of smoking too much cannabis. Uh, in regards to what you said about dementia, mm. like this is something that, you know, has affected our family significantly since my dad has been diagnosed with, you know, early onset Alzheimer's and dementia. One of the early signs was him not wanting to not just leave his house. He actually would put blankets up mm. uh, all over the windows. So he wasn't able to determine like day or night or well, whatever. Or what even things like do. loss of self-care, right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. all the things that people... Grooming, things like that. I mean, dad was a very neat person. Well, that's why I think it could be so dangerous to look mm-hmm. at laziness as this moral failing or as this right, sin. Right, 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 right. it could be a symptom of something much something more serious. Something much larger, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, and even if there isn't a serious underlying issue, I think laziness can be kind of like a, like a thermostat telling you, hey, you need to slow down, you need to reset because you've just drained all of your resources. Sure. Like you're you're taking on too much. Going back to our ancestors, sit under the tree for a little bit. Yeah. Get some shade. Right. And literally saying, huh, I'm lazy. Instead of saying, oh, crap, I'm so mad at myself for being lazy. I think this was my realization where lately I've been kind of mad at myself for feeling some laziness. I've realized, you know what? I just need to like nap. You're very good at that. Yeah. Because you work really hard. Did you say I'm very good at laziness? No, 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 no. You're very good at, at checking in with yourself with that because like this is something that I don't do often, but you work really, really hard uh, all day. You, you get up at like five thirty in the morning, and you don't stop uh, un- unless I make 450, you. Four fifty, but <laughs> unless I, unless I make you eat or you do something like that. 
but you're also really good after the end of the day. You're like, you know what? I think I'm just going to go to sleep right now. I, I just I have to turn off. I think this shut. is something I had to develop as a skill, though, and you've been so helpful with By that. By boring you. No. Yes. <laughs> I've, been, I've been so I've helpful. Never like, Let me tell you about you. the top 10 running backs since the game changed in 1977. No, you've been such a supporter for me for years now of saying you need to do nothing. And that's okay. And actually letting me not see it as a failure if I'm choosing to Yeah, I used to get stressed just, when we when we had out. like a lazy day. Yeah. Remember that? Like oh, when we first absolutely. got together, you'd be our Saturdays like, and Sundays. What activities are we Yeah, do? you you would get and if we didn't do anything, you'd be like, You still don't want to do anything? You sure you don't want to I got an idea. Let's go dancing. And I'd be like, Dancing sounds terrible right now. Well, it'd be <laughs> awful because it would be like 8 p.m., 9 p.m., and I'm like, huh, I, I, do, I have to get one project done. I have to at least make it worth it. And, you know, as much as I respect Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, yeah, yeah, the research that shows that activity is a better predictor of life satisfaction than inactivity, I do think it's all about balance. Yeah, right? We absolutely. need to give ourselves permission to just enjoy idleness, enjoy yeah. doing nothing, because that's what our bodies crave and need sometimes. Last but not least, if we go back to the original theme of this episode, which isn't just talking about laziness, it's talking about sloth as Mm -hmm. one of the seven deadly sins, I want to point out that the original definition of this concept seems to refer to moral laziness more so than behavioral laziness. The true sin is more like apathy toward others, Hmm. which you said right from the beginning in your own definition of laziness, where you were saying, well, yeah, part of it is lack of motivation. The other part of it is taking up space, right? And, And that's really, I think, the original intention of calling it a sin is I'm focusing on me versus putting in the effort to be there for others. And I think that's super ironic because I think you'll often see that people excuse their own apathy and forgive their own lack of care by calling other people lazy. Hmm. Can you, you give see me an this example of that? often like, with like poverty. Like I get this a lot as an immigrant. People will say, well, see, your family came here with no money yeah. and they were able to get on their feet. But look at all these Americans who are on welfare. So that language of those people are lazy, Mm -hmm. I think, often masks people's willingness to actually have empathy for what's truly going on. I remember being with someone who once said, you know, we're talking about my family's poverty and how we grew up. And they told me, oh, well, my mom said that's because y'all were lazy. And this is someone who inherited wealth, telling me that my family was lazy. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, I mean, there's so many other factors to this about like racism and opportunities. We talked about luck before and like, you know, yeah. where you come from and cultural. Illness, it, chronic exhaustion, lack of opportunity, lack of access. There's so many things to talk about. Like the, you can't just throw a blanket over it and say that it's laziness. All we do is just point fingers instead of saying, okay, what's the real issue here? Is it lack of education? So they, these people are stuck in this time loop where they can't better themselves because they can't get out of the neighborhood. They can't get beyond their this invisible fence that society has put on them, so they can't leave. So that's really one of the surprising, for me, insights from looking into the psychology of laziness and sloth mm. is I know we've spent a lot of time today talking about how do we control our own laziness and yeah. how do we learn from our own laziness, but the most dangerous form of laziness is assuming someone is lazy. Yeah. And actually, the true meaning of sloth is not being willing to care enough to help. Well, I care enough that people are listening. And I care enough to ask, as usual, to please <laughs> leave a review for this episode. Pass it on. Don't be lazy. Don't be lazy, right? <laughs> Literally, if you are not leaving us a review right now. Lazy. Sloth. Sloth. A lack of care for self and others. Sloth. 
All right, everyone. Thank you for putting off whatever it is that you were doing and spending time with us instead. And thank you for listening to Talk Talk Psych Psych to to Me. me. I'm going to have a nap.